Thank you for listening to the Rivers Church podcast with Pastor Andre and the Rivers team. Be sure to subscribe for a weekly dose of encouragement and inspiration to help your daily life. We pray that this message will help in whatever season of life you might be in. We're continuing this morning with part three in our series on wisdom, the wisdom series. And uh, it's so important that we understand that we need the wisdom of God. There's human wisdom on this plane. There's demonic wisdom, which seeks to destroy, sometimes through human wisdom. But then there's God's wisdom, divine wisdom that sees from heaven's perspective. How many of you know we need to see like that? As I open this morning, before I give you the title of today's message, I want to read from Ecclesiastes chapter 2 and verse 14. It's a very interesting verse. It says, the wise person has his eyes in his head, but the fool walks in darkness. Good question this morning is where else would your eyes be if not in your head? But clearly he's not saying the wise person's eyes are in their arms. He's saying a wise person's eyes are connected to their thinking, their observation, their understanding, not just to their emotions. Because when your wisdom is connected to your emotions, you'll operate on a human level and a demonic level. But when your eyes are in your head and you're looking at life, God's word, and history, and all things around you from a divine perspective, you won't walk in darkness, you'll walk in light. How many of you this morning say, I need to walk in light? And we'll look in a moment as we go through the message at how important it is to observe what is happening around you and to see it through God's eyes. Often we apply human wisdom, we're so clever, but it gets us into trouble, have you noticed? Our country is in trouble because of human wisdom. We take shortcuts and we wonder why it's going wrong. And it's happening across the world. I recently read of what's called Operation Varsity Blues, where in a sting operation, they caught 50 people who had tried to buy positions in universities and schools with money. We'll give you this donation, put our child in X, Y, Z. And uh, many families have been caught in it. One of the young girls, Olivia Jade Giannulli, she's a young girl in a college, and uh, she's a YouTuber as well, very popular, got, got lots of followers on YouTube, and uh, in fact, millions of subscribers. And uh, as a result of her being caught for her mother trying to buy her place, she's lost the support now of the big, big uh, uh, fashion houses, uh, cosmetics, Sephora, Estee Lauder, and others might follow because they try to shortcut her education. Instead of earning it with proper work and wisdom, they thought they could take the shortcut. And these are not stupid people. These are not poor people. These are intelligent, rich people who are using human wisdom. Her sister also, Isabella, tried to get into college the same way. They tried to bribe officials to put them into sport and said they were, were you know, to, to put on the documents that they were these experienced rowers. Meanwhile, they'd hardly ever rowed. And um, they found out the mom of the two girls, interestingly enough, she was, uh, her name's Laurie Lachlan. You may remember her from a lot of movies, but she's very well known for her Hallmark series uh, called uh, When Calls the Heart. Guess what? She was released on $1 million bail. That's 15 million rand for trying to buy positions in a school. I don't think she expected that when she came up with a clever idea. 
but they had a whole lot of people involved, and the lawyer who was also involved with this, a man by the name of Gordon Kaplan, he paid $75,000, that is, to have his daughter's ACT score raised. They, they gave her a 32, meanwhile she'd never ever done better than a 22, and now his law firm has taken him out of the position of chairman, he's been freed from his responsibilities, and 14 other people were charged, people you might know, people like the Desperate Housewives, if you do watch that, if you're desperate, Felicity Huffman, <laughs> and Felicity Huffman's known around the world because of that series. She was arrested and she pled guilty. She'd also tried to buy positions for her children, and they thought she might get four to 10 months in prison. These are actors and actresses. You're like, no, they won't go to prison. Yep, she pled guilty. She managed to pay a $30,000 fine. That's a, that's a serious amount of rands. And uh, she was put in prison for 14 days. I don't think she thought she would end up there when they came up with this clever scheme. 50 of these people, this is not some scaly person on the side. This is the average person using human wisdom, thinking they're cleverer than God. But I'll tell you what, your life never works out when you use human wisdom. We've got to go God's way, especially if you want to improve this country. So I want to speak to you this morning of the four benefits of wisdom. You say only four. Yep, they'll have sub points. So you'll get your money's worth, if you like. The benefits of developing divine wisdom this morning. How many of you think you need divine wisdom in the room? I certainly do. And I want to just remind you before we get into it here, Proverbs 24 and verse 3. Solomon says, by wisdom, a house is built. He's not talking about bricks and mortar. He's talking about a life here. And he says, and through understanding, he's using uh, language that, that carries analogy. Uh, it's, 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 uh, it's idiom rather than meaning exactly what it says. And he says, by understanding, it is established. Through knowledge, its rooms are filled with rare and beautiful treasures. How many of you want a life that's not only built, but stands established? How many of you want a life that's not only established, but beautiful? God gives that through his wisdom. And you can, let me tell you this, you can build a life through cheating, fraud, lies, and human wisdom, but it won't be established, and it certainly won't be beautiful. Because when the nonsense comes out, we don't admire people like that. We don't watch the news and say, yeah, was he caught for stealing? How clever. Four billion. Yes, eh? I need to get in touch with him. No, everyone comes out and goes, how scandalous. But yet we tend to follow the route. So it's time for us to understand the benefits of divine wisdom. Number one, the first thing divine wisdom does, it helps us to make wise life decisions. Wise life decisions. And I'm going to speak about the principle here because later on in the coming weeks, we're going to deal with how to make wise decisions. There's certain principles for it. But today I want to speak about the fact that we need to go to the Bible because the Bible helps us make wise decisions. It is not outdated. It has everything you need for every decision you make. Money, sex, relationships, finances, anything you can think of, the Bible has an answer if you correctly interpret it. D.L. Moody said the Bible was not given to increase our knowledge, but to change our lives. You see, it's wisdom and the application of what you know, not how much you know. And a lot of people want to go to church and have their heads filled with knowledge. Oh, I didn't know that. Oh, he read that scripture and I never heard that before. Well, sometimes I wonder if it's actually true. 
because we have to keep pulling stuff, rabbits out of the hat. Now, sometimes we just need to hear the water of the pool of Siloam that Jesus said to the blind man, wash in that. And he came back seeing. It's not, it's, it wasn't some special potion. He didn't say, go down to Jaime. Tell Jaime, hey, I want some ointment. No, no, just go to the water. And it's the simplicity sometimes of the word. John Milbank is a British theologian, and he said, theology says something about everything, while other discourses often seek to say everything about something. Often it's opinion. No, we need wisdom. And the Bible tells us something about everything in our lives. And we no longer have to live on the human wisdom level. Can I say the greatest danger the church faces is to start living by feeling, by taste, by preference, I feel, and by opinion. That's how the world lives. People come into church and they say, I don't like that. It's not spiritual. Well, where do you find that? That's opinion. People tell me, I don't like the lights in the church. It takes me back to my disco days. <laughs> well, Lord, help you in your house. You've got lights, and should there be a flicker on the TV, you might backslide. <laughs> lights are neither spiritual nor unspiritual. In fact, I think they're quite spiritual because God put many of them in the sky when he created the heavens. God's into lights. You didn't get that. <laughs> but we've got to be careful. Jeans are neither spiritual nor unspiritual. I went to that church, but he didn't wear a tie, so I stopped going because he doesn't honor God. Someone wrote, wrote to me on television and said, I enjoyed your message. It was profound. Thank you that you helped me. Such a pity that you've gone worldly by wearing sneakers. <laughs> That's what they said. That's opinion. That's human wisdom. That's not biblical wisdom. The more you get rooted in biblical wisdom, the more you're not super spiritual, and the more you don't end up making silly mistakes. You make good decisions because your thinking is good. And can I say this? We need to know the difference between style, taste, and preference. Every church's leader determines that. The congregation can't. We'll end up going in a hundred different directions. We'd have to have a little modern section outside where the wall is just plain white with a plain white chair for those of you that are modern. Then we'd have to have some antiques and then we'd be like, this is my section. No, you have to decide on things and then if, if God's gifted you for leadership, you end up there. Am I making sense? So decision-making has to have its roots in the word and then there must be room for leadership and there must be room for style, taste, and preference. But let me just get back to this. It's important for us to understand that in every decision, the Bible is completely wise. It has the all, the, the all the, what, what is it, the, 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 the wisdom of God embodied in it. And if you read it incorrectly, you will get it wrong. And, and can I say this? Be very careful that you don't get your wisdom from the world when making decisions because people listen to actors and actresses and they take them as like, oh, well, they said it and, you know, they're very famous. doesn't mean because you're famous, you're right. You know, Brad Pitt was in, interviewed by Rolling Stone magazine by one of the journalists called Chris Heath. And Chris Heath asked him about his background and his life. This is quite a while ago, but nonetheless, it seems like he hasn't changed. He talked to him about religion and family and so on. And he asked him about the Bible and he said, I would call it oppression because it stifles any kind of personal individual freedom. I dealt with a lot of that and my family 
uh, would disagree with me on all of that. So clearly his family must have been somewhat Christian, and now he feels it's oppressive. So he asked him, well, you know, the Bible, you know, where? And so he raised the story of the parable of the, of the, um, the prodigal son. He raised the parable of the prodigal son with Chris Heath, and he said, for instance, the parable of the prodigal son, and he said this, this is a story which says if you go out and try to find your own voice and find what works for you and what makes sense for you, then you're going to be destroyed and you will be humbled and you will not be alive again until you come home to the Father's ways. So you're like, oh, yeah, might be. <laughs> he, didn't, he, he, didn't, he didn't realize that in the parable of the prodigal son, it actually says that while the prodigal was trying to find himself, he came to his senses. In other words, he was out of his mind during that time. And he forgot to mention, he forgot to mention the goodness of God in giving the boy his inheritance. Then when he wasted it and he came to his senses, gave him some more. He could only see it from a human point of view. Guess how he makes his decisions? No reference to the Bible. In terms of marriage, and family, and so on. We've got to be careful that we don't look at the modern world and think it has everything we need. You know, today, the Bible. No, Leonard Sweet, in a book called Rings of Fire, said this. He said, solutionism is the belief that all problems can be solved through reason and technology. Maybe you're a solutionist today and you don't realize it. Dataism is the belief that the highest source of authority is algorithmic. It's got to add up and make sense. No, sometimes it's got to respect God's word. And it'll only be seen in a process rather than in logic. And we need to respect God because God has your best in mind. And when he wants you to make decisions based on his word, he's not saying, I want you to do it like this. He's saying it because he sees what you don't see. God is referred to as the great physician, the great doctor, if you like. And Philip Yancey wrote a wonderful article for Christianity Today. You know, he's a prolific author. He wrote this article, I want to read it to you, called Doctor's Orders. And we begin to understand how God's mind works, so when we make decisions, we keep going back to the Bible. He says, last summer, a surgeon operated on my foot. While rehabilitating from that, I often did exercises that hurt, because I knew that working through the soreness would allow my foot to regain its usefulness. On the other hand, the surgeon warned against bicycling, mountain climbing, running, and other activities that might endanger the healing process. So I need, he says, I needed to move it a bit, but I shouldn't do extreme sports and stuff. So he says, basically anything that sounded fun, he vetoed. On one visit, I tried to talk him, talk him into letting me play golf. I said to him, some friends get together once a year. It's important to me. I've been practicing my swing. And if I use only my upper body and keep my legs and hips very still, I could join them. Without a flick of hesitation, my doctor replied, it would make me very unhappy if you played golf within the next two months. I thought you were a golfer, I said to him, appealing to his sympathy. I am, he says, that's how I know. You can't swing without rolling that foot inward and putting weight on the parts that you're trying to heal. He says, my doctor has nothing against my playing golf. As a fellow golfer, he sympathizes with me, but... He has my best interests at heart. It will indeed make him unhappy if I do something that might damage my long-term recovery. Now, I like this. He wants me to play golf next year and the next and the rest of my life. 
And for that reason, he could not sanction a match too soon after my surgery. As we talked, I began to appreciate my doctor's odd choice of words. If he had issued an edict, no golf, I might have stubbornly rebelled. He left me the free choice and expression. Oh, sorry, he left, me the, he left me the free choice and expressed the consequences in a most personal way. Disobedience would grieve him for his job was to restore my health. Now he finishes by saying, what a doctor does for me physically, guide me towards health, God does for me spiritually. I'm learning to view sins not as an arbitrary list of rules drawn up by a cranky judge, but rather as a list of dangers that must be avoided at all costs for our own sakes. So the wisdom of God guides us to make decisions that sometimes seem to be depriving us, but actually are for our good. So when we talk about people living together and not being married, oh, everyone does it and there's no harm in it and I love her and she loves me. It sounds rational and human and everyone's doing it, but the long-term results of it are not good. It doesn't build trust and it causes you to be living in something that God has not planned. God's plan for one man and one woman to live in a permanent bond and to discover responsibility and love that's more than eros, commitment, that's God's design. And you never fully mature unless you make decisions God's way. Number two, the second benefit you're gonna to say to, you're probably saying to yourself, these are no benefits. <laughs> Number two, the second benefit is it brings success, respect, and promotion. The benefit of the wisdom of God, the divine wisdom, is it brings success, respect, and, and promotion. And can I remind you, success is not a swear word. There are many Christian quarters who will tell you God doesn't want you to be successful. The Bible teaches that from beginning to end. Now, we have trials and we have setbacks and we have things that we don't understand, but ultimate success is God's plan. Joseph ended up in a prison for a long period of time, but God's ultimate plan was success. And you need to be expecting success, respect, and promotion. Proverbs 22, do you see someone skilled in their work? We, we, we studied last week that, that, that you, 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 if you've got wisdom, that wisdom is, is skill. And uh, it says they will serve before kings. They will not serve before officials of low rank. And whenever you serve like that and you develop wisdom, the wisdom of God at work, you move forward in your life. Re Jeroboam was a man who, who was like that and he ended up becoming a king for some 22 years. 1 Kings 11, 28, stay with me here. Jeroboam was a very capable young man. And when Solomon saw how industrious he was, he didn't spend his time chilling. He was put in charge of the labor force from the tribes of Ephraim and Manasseh, the descendants of Joseph. I'll tell you what, when you are wise, you only go up in life. And people see it. But you know what people think today? If you go to work and you, you, know, you sneak in and then, you, and then you're on the internet and then you read your paper in the loo, then you go early for a coffee and then you go out in the balcony for a smoke and then you know, and then if there, no one's looking and then you go home, geez, how clever was I? No, you're silly. You're only hurting your own life. When you sow and are capable and are skilled and you use your wisdom, you get noticed, boy, and promotion and success is yours. And respect, people notice that. When Solomon built the kingdom, people noticed it from far and wide. The queen of Sheba traveled to Solomon to see his wisdom. And by the way, wisdom is not just what you know. Wisdom is manifest. If you're wise, you don't, you, don't, you don't go to someone in a rundown house who's got teeth missing. 
Their toenails are as long as the witches. And there they sit with an old dirty pants. I've come to you for wisdom. It's like people who go to those people who live in a caravan. Tell me how I can be rich. Well, if they knew, they wouldn't be living in a caravan. <laughs> Just take a bit of thought. Wisdom manifests itself in more than you know. It shows in your entire life. Are you with me? Now notice the Queen of Sheba comes, and I want to read this because it's, it's important to see what, how, how attractive this is and how success and respect come and how promotion comes. 2 Chronicles 9 verse 5. The Queen of Sheba says to Solomon, everything I heard in my country about your achievements and wisdom is true. I didn't believe what was said until I arrived here and saw it with my own eyes. In fact, I had not heard the half of your great wisdom. It is far beyond what I was told. How happy your people must be. What a privilege for your officials to stand here day after day, volunteering at rivers, listening to your wisdom. It's in the original Hebrew. But how many of you know people don't come to this church just to look at the building and the architecture? They come to look at why things run well. Why is everything organized? Why is everything done with excellence? Is it because we're trying to impress you because we're in Santon? No, it's like that in all our campuses. Why? Because wisdom manifests itself in everything. Building sound, light, cleanliness. It's not just something we know. And it goes on to say, she said, praise the Lord your God who delights in you and has placed you on the throne as king to rule for him. Because God loves Israel and desires this kingdom to last forever, he has made you king over them so that you can rule with justice and righteousness. Now watch, I like this. Then she gave the king a gift of 9,000 pounds of gold. That's four and a half tons, by the way. Great quantities of spices and precious jewels. Never before had there been spices as fine as those the Queen of Sheba gave to Solomon. They say it was worth about 4.5 billion rand. That's what wisdom will do. And can I say this? Sometimes we think we can do one wise thing that will set us up for life. We can go to university and we can do three years. Now we're set up. No, you're not. You've got to constantly be behaving wisely. Do you remember David killed the giant, Goliath, and he was elevated because he came with faith, also wisdom. He knew if I get too close to this guy, he's going to cut my head off. He's bigger than me. So he used a stone. He used wisdom, gifted wisdom, divine wisdom. But that wasn't enough to make David king. I want to, sh I want to show you what you've got to do. You can't just have one-offs. 1 Samuel 18 from the American Standard Version. It says, and David went out wheresoever Saul sent him and behaved himself wisely. And Saul set him over the men of war, promotion, success. And it was good in the sight of all the people and also in the sight of Saul's servants. Can you see? Success, respect, and promotion. And David behaved himself, it says again, in all ways, wisely. And Jehovah was with him. And when Saul saw that he behaved himself very wisely, he stood in awe of him. Verse 16, but all Israel and Judah loved David, for he went out and came in before them. Skip over to verse 30. Then the princes of the Philistines went forth, and it came to pass as often as they went forth that David behaved himself more wisely than all the servants of Saul, so that his name was much set by. Can you see how when you have divine wisdom, it's attractive? People come to you, you're respected, and you get promoted. But let's go to number three. The wonderful thing about divine wisdom, and we've seen it here in this passage, is it increases our resources. 
If you want resources and finances to flow to you, you need more than just natural wisdom. You need natural wisdom and divine wisdom. You need a touch of God on you. And when you have wisdom, money comes to you. A lot of people are waiting for money to come to them, but they don't have wisdom. When you have wisdom and nothing, money comes. Charles Steinmetz, or Charlie Steinmetz, was a man who had severe disabilities, but he was a genius. He was an electrical engineer. He worked uh, for Henry Ford at one time, and then he ran his own business. And Henry Ford got him in to build the generators for his Ford plant. Well, the generators were running, and then they finally broke down. The engineers at Ford and the repair staff that he had, the maintenance staff, couldn't fix the generator, so they called Charlie Steinmetz and got him in as a consultant, and obviously they would have to pay. And he spent a little while, I think it was about two hours, tinkering with the generators, looking and examining them, finally flicked the switch, and they went on. This is the beginning of the last century, early 1900s. Well, he sent a bill to Henry Ford, who was known to be quite tight-fisted, a bill for $10,000. And Ford immediately got hold of him and said, what's this? You were here for two hours. And he then said, broke down the bill. He said, for tinkering with the generators, $10. For knowing where to tinker, $9,950. See, wisdom gives you an edge, and it increases your resources. So it's important to keep learning both human and divine wisdom. This man was disabled, but he hung around with people like, uh, like um, Einstein. What is it with me today? He was disabled, but hung out with people like Einstein. So it's not about your physical ability. It's not about how you look. It's what you have in that container. That will attract resources. And I believe when you have divine wisdom, it attracts resources. Never forget where we started Rivers Church, in the little building next door. Maximum seating capacity, 220. That was everyone on a pew, hip, hip bone to hip bone. 41 parking bays outside. And most people saying, where's your church? But we kept imparting the wisdom of God, sharing the Bible, teaching people, and they saw their lives change, and they saw their lives change. And as a result, they gave resources, and we built another building, and another building, and another building, and bought 10 houses, and then eventually ended up here and opened another campus. Now five campuses. Where did it come from? Divine wisdom. It attracts resources. Are you with me? Now, you, you say, well, I want to attract resources. Well, it's very easy. People are waiting. Can, can I say this? Write this down some if you're making notes. Wisdom develops by observation, not by donation. Many people are waiting for someone to give them resources, for someone to give them wisdom, but wisdom comes by observation, not donation. Are you with me? Stay with me here because how many of you have read the verse, or verses in Proverbs where it says, wisdom calls aloud? And most people say, I haven't heard anything. <laughs> it's like people say, money speaks. All mine says is, bye. <laughs> but wisdom does call. Notice what he says. Let's read it. Proverbs 1 and verse 20. It says, out in the open, wisdom calls aloud. 
outside, not in the classroom. She raises her voice in the public square. On top of the wall, she cries out, at the city gate, she makes her speech. In other words, like MTN says, everywhere you go. <laughs> wherever you go on walls, on squares, outside the classroom, wisdom is being spoken and you need to observe. Because if you observe, you'll get it. So guess why Solomon keeps talking like he says, go and have a look at the ants. Ants, they're nuisance, itchy. They crawl on my neck at night in my bed. I don't know how they get in, but they get through the door. Maybe they come for little bits that I have sometimes, you know, a few nuts next to the bed. They end up in my neck while I'm... And the night I woke up, there was a one in my ear. I was like, what's happening? Demonic attack. <laughs> And ants can be irritating, but they're incredibly wise. And he's saying, wisdom is shouting at you from every corner of life. Just look. The wise man has his eyes in his head. He's not just seeing them as annoying. He's learning from them. Let's read you quickly. Proverbs 6 and verse 6. Go to the ant, you sluggard. Consider its ways. Observe. And be what? Wise. It has no commander, no overseer or ruler. Yet it stores its provisions in summer and gathers its food at harvest. How long will you lie there, you sluggard? I felt the Lord say that to me this morning when I woke up. It was dark outside. When will you get up from your sleep? A little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest. Watch this. And poverty will come on you like a thief. And scarcity like an armed man. It doesn't say you're just going to get poor. It's almost like it's going to be taken from you. Very, very important, very wise words, this, and we'll, we'll unpack it. Let me give you eight things that eight ants can teach us today. Are you ready? Because although ants are small, they're incredibly productive, and they gather wealth and resources, and they can teach us a bit of a lesson. This is what we learn from ants. Number one, sleep and taking it easy are not the way to success. How many of you know it's important to get enough sleep? Make sure you go to bed early enough and get good rest. But if you're constantly looking to chill, it's not the answer. Even an ant knows that. And the ant's brain is a lot smaller than yours. <laughs> Number two, it's not up to our leaders to make us prosper. How's that for a statement? Across the world, people are fighting, protesting, harming other people, not just in South Africa, right across the world. Why? Because they think that if they get the right leader in, everything will change. You know what it is? It's self-motivation that changes your life, not the leaders or political party that's in charge. And with all respect to our terrible past in our country, we thank God for the breakthrough and the change, but don't rely too much on human wisdom. And ant teaches you that you need to be self-motivated. They don't have an overseer. They don't have a leader. Inside, they know what to do because it's divinely imparted. And the Bible is saying you need divine wisdom as well, number three, they know how to acquire and save. Ants are cleverer than people. It doesn't spend and eat up everything it gets. Hmm? You need to put some money away for a rainy day. They say you should have at least three months salary if you've got a house. You know, if you've got a house that you're paying off and cars and kids at school, you should have three months' salary in case something goes wrong. Because what happens is when it goes wrong, we go and we skinner at the braai. Yeah, this company, they just, you know, they don't care today. It's these big bosses, they just, it's all about profit. And so we become the victim. And Ant's not a victim. 
Anne says, I'm going to save, and I make sure I've got something stored, because times change. Hmm? I was reading about a man who stored all his life, and then suddenly it broke through. A man called Harvey Pennick. He was born in Texas in 1904, and uh, he started golfing. At the, he was a caddy at eight years old, but then he became a professional golfer, and he became a coach, and he coached some of the world, a Hall of Fame golfers in the world, an amazing man. And uh, all the time while he was golfing, throughout his whole career, he wrote things on scraps of paper, little things that he learned, little tips and so on. And he put them into his pocket and he took them home and he kept them. At the age of 87, he decided to publish a book, the little red pocket book of golf with another person. And that book sold millions of copies. Today, it's like the main handbook that golfers use. It, it accumulates. Some of us, you know, we, we're like, I started golfing at eight, I'm 21. Why aren't I making millions? Sometimes things take a bit longer. But you need to save up and store up. Are you with me? Number four, they work for the common good, not for themselves. Ants are not just self-focused. And there's such a selfishness in our culture today. We don't care about what happens to other people. We'll steal money from big institutions, millions. But guess who suffers? The poor. And ants, you, you know you get a, an ant called a honey pot ant? You know what it does? It fills its entire body up until it's the size of a grape. Then it goes back to, the, back to the colony and it lets all that liquid out and the other ants feed off it. It doesn't just live for itself. We meant to be like that. That's why we come to church and we tithe. We give. Why? Because you're not out there just making a success of your life. You're contributing. Every time you go to work, you, you're filling up so that you can pass on to the next generation and keep the company going so the children who are going through school right now will one day work at that company. But today we're so self-focused. I'm going to steal. They don't pay me enough. I'm taking that. I'm lying there. I'm taking this contract. They're going to buy me a car. And eventually everything falls apart because we lack wisdom. We've got less wisdom than an ant. Number five, sleep is necessary, but work is primary. Now, why did I mention that? Because again, in Proverbs 24, you still with me? Proverbs 24, he says, I went past the field of a sluggard, past the vineyard of someone who has no sense. Thorns had come up everywhere. The ground was covered with weeds and the stone wall was in ruins. Now watch, I applied my heart to what I observed and learned, sorry, to what I observed and learned a lesson from what I saw. Can you see wisdom comes just by looking? It's not by donation, it's by observation. He says, a little sleep, a little slumber, and a little folding of the hands to rest, and poverty will come on you like a thief, and scarcity like an old man. Can you see it's exactly the same as Proverbs 6? He's trying to make the point here. And he's saying, hey, sleep is necessary, but work is primary. And it's a challenge to us. It's a challenge to us. But watch this, number six. This is what ants teach us. Wisdom is readily available to us. Wisdom is readily available to us. Wisdom is not hard to get. He says, I walked past the field and I observed. You just have to look and you can learn. Look at people who are not successful and you'll see why. Are you with me? Some of us say, you're shame, eh? It's the political system and it's, you're in those countries. And No, no, often it's individuals lacking wisdom. It's individuals lacking wisdom. Because we don't have a culture of wisdom that's being taught. Even in countries, can I say this? Even in countries where there's huge wealth and churches don't teach wisdom, places like Nigeria, 
where it's all about signs and wonders and people lying on the ground and screaming and having four-hour meetings, those people don't know what to do from Monday to Saturday. So they're Christians, the country's got oil, but the individuals have not unlocked the wisdom of God for daily living. With all respect to Nigeria, it's just an illustration. And someone in a book wrote that, so I'm just quoting him without getting him into trouble. You've got to work hard if you want to make a success of life. Coming up, and wisdom is readily accessible. And some of us, we're just like, oh, no, there must be other ways. And we use the term passive income so we can be passive. We like the old man and his wife who lived in the cabin in the mountains. Have you heard that story? And she looked over him one day and she said, Jed, I think it's raining outside. He looked up and looked into the fire. She said, go outside and see if it's raining. He just kept looking at the fire. And then he said, Ma, call the dog in and see if he's wet. <laughs> Took you a while to get that, but you got it. <laughs> Number eight, a lack of wisdom makes you a victim. That's what ants teach us. Sorry, number seven. Seven. Go back, number seven. Wisdom is preparing, not procrastinating. Don't, don't procrastinate, prepare. Ants know how to prepare. They're not waiting for something. They, they're preparing for, for the next year, the next month. They're thinking ahead. Number eight, a lack of wisdom makes you a victim. Notice he says, poverty will come upon you like an armed Man, like a bandit. You know what people do when they end up in problems and that? They blame everybody. My family doesn't care. You must see how they live. You must see my brother-in-law's car. But when I go to them for help, I tell you they ask. And on my night, and then it's the company, it's the brother-in-law, then it's Rivers Church who won't give you money to send your children all for university education. And then it's the government. No, 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 that armed bandit, you actually created him. A lack of wisdom creates a, almost creates a person that robs you as though someone did. But you blame everyone else instead of saying, hey, maybe you started up here and here. I need to rethink my life. Am I making sense today? Gosh, man, you're not a victim. You need to get up and get going. Lest you lose. You know, if you're not careful, by the time you're 30, you can lose your motivation because you're waiting for something to come up. There's a coastal town in... in, in uh, in Southern California called Monterey. And uh, Monterey is famous for fishing, also for its, uh, its pelicans. It used to have massive flocks of pelicans. And the reason it had lots of pelicans is because as the fishermen used to fish, we're talking about 20, 30 years ago, they used to gut the fish and take the offals, you know, the in innards. They used to take it out and throw it down on the rocks. And the pelicans used to come and gobble it up. Now, it suited the fishermen. It kept the place clean, kept the pelicans fed. But guess what? As times move forward, they realize that's valuable. So they started using it to process dog food and cat food, and that offal had value. So they stopped feeding the pelicans. Do you know what the pelicans did? They stayed there and got gaunt and thin and waited and waited. A huge amount of them died off. They didn't bother to go back for fishing, back to fishing. They'd lost the skill of looking after themselves because they'd become dependent. We've got to get going. Lest you lose what you've got. And so an ant teaches us a lot of wisdom. Number four, as we come to a close-up, running out of time as I always do, it saves us from disasters. 
The benefit of receiving divine wisdom is it saves us from disasters. Have you noticed some people's lives are not just difficult, they're disasters? They're not victims, it's a lack of wisdom. And your life can be a dating disaster. Just don't say anything, just look straight ahead. It can be a financial disaster, a relational or marital disaster. It can be a business or financial disaster. It can be a sexual disaster. Why? Wisdom's available. It's calling out through observation, through looking at people, through looking at good, godly believers, you can get wisdom. Through looking at the word, it's available. That's why when you get it, it saves you from disasters. Proverbs chapter two, for wisdom will enter your heart and knowledge will be pleasant to your soul. But watch, discretion will protect you and understanding will guard you. Wisdom will save you from the ways of wicked men, from men whose words are perverse. Wisdom will save you also from the adulterous woman, from the wayward woman with her seductive words. Forgive me, ladies, I'm just reading scripture. <laughs> Don't take it personally. What it's really saying here is a woman who dresses up can actually make a fool out of a man. Hmm? Who has left the partner of her youth and ignored the covenant she made before God. Surely her house leads down to death and her paths to the spirits of the dead. None who go to her return will attain the paths of life. My word. So when you have divine wisdom, you don't do stupid stuff. You end up in the wrong company. You don't have the wrong kind of people influencing you. You don't sit at parties and admire those who've bought cars, expensive cars from money they didn't earn. I know, can you, can you connect me? And boys night out. Oh, your wife won't find out. Oh, steps go down. Imagine if you could look at a woman and go, you lead to the grave. Come on now. Someone's fantasy appears at a party. Ooh. Hi, baby. Your steps lead down to the grave. You need to, no, listen. That's what he's saying. If you've got wisdom, it's like an inner regulator. Man, you're attractive. I can't take my eyes off you, but, but, huh? God help us, man. Because even Christians lose their marbles. Chuck Colson is, uh, is passed away now, but he, he was involved in the Watergate scandal. President Nixon, he was one of his advisors. They crooked and secretly recorded the opposition, and he ended up in prison. In prison, he got converted, became a Christian, born-again Christian, and he started prison fellowship while he was in prison. And today, it's still going. He wrote numerous books. And he said one day, a friend of his came to him and said to him, I'm leaving my wife of many, many years. He's a Christian. He said he could not understand it. And he went home and he thought about it and he prayed about it. Then he remembered, he said, there's an author, which we can't show you, but he says there's an author. And this author wrote a book. And in the book, he said, I remember reading this author saying this, and I want to quote it to you. He said, this author said this. He said, I had a Christian friend named John. And I was shocked by him announcing that he was leaving his wife to marry another woman. And he explained his decision by saying, it seemed so good, so right. That's when we knew we had to get the divorces. We belonged together. This author then goes on to say, and there was another woman, Diana, who left her husband for another man, defending herself with virtually the same words. It was just so good and right that Roger, with Roger, that I knew it would be wrong to go on with Paul. 
This author says, both John and Diana were invoking a higher law, the feeling of goodness and rightness. And that feeling of goodness and rightness removed the guilt of what they were doing to their families, but they weren't operating with the wisdom of God. You gotta be very careful. You gotta be very careful who you link up with what you say. You've gotta be going, God, speak to me. Keep me from disaster. You don't wanna build a life and then have it crash down. Not at 40. Listen, you've been married to 10 years. Not at 35. Not at 45. Not at 50. Not at 65. You want to keep going. You want a house built. You want it beautiful. You want his rooms filled with treasures. You want it to be attractive, prosperous, and successful. I will come to a close in a moment, but I must tell you this because I think it's very important. Grace Milan, she got involved with a guy Jesse Kempson, and had sex with him after a date on Tinder, and he strangled her to death while having sex with her in an Auckland hotel room. And they, sadly enough, they, it took a long time before they found her body, but what he did was he met her on Tinder, he had sex with her and strangled her, December the 1st, 2018, a day before her 22nd birthday, and she met him on Tinder, got involved with him, and he killed her, and then the cops have found out, he put her in a suitcase. The day he had sex with her, he killed her, put her in a suitcase, and then while that suitcase was in that hotel room, he then went back on Tinder and found other dates and was starting to date another woman. While he was burying that body in the suitcase, in a field, he was dating another woman who fortunately, by God's grace somehow, was suspicious of his manner and so on, and felt a bit uncomfortable. She must have been very very wise, well brought up. I don't know, I'm guessing. But she terminated it and then later the cops caught him. Be very careful. You can't find a life pot on Tinder. <laughs> He's good looking. He's got a nice smile. But he murdered her. Because human wisdom's not enough. And divine wisdom will keep you from disaster. Divine wisdom enables you not to rush into anything and to look through things. I love what this, and I'll come to a close in a moment. Eugene Delacroix, he was a French artist. I love what he said. He said, flee the wicked, even when they are agreeable, instructive, and charming. Come on, ladies, you ought to give me a clap now. What we need is divine wisdom, not just human wisdom, God forbid demonic wisdom. Don't be ruled by opinion, by taste, by preference. Be ruled by human, by, by divine wisdom and say, God, help me to live my life according to the word. You're the doctor who knows best. You're the great physician. You'll bring success. You'll help me make right decisions. You'll bring resources and you'll keep my life from falling apart by wisdom a house is built. Can you say amen? You know, everything in life teaches us something, hey, isn't that true? And before I pray with you, I read something fascinating. Uh, I think it was on Thursday or Friday. I found this quite simple but fascinating, talking about Solomon looking at life. This article said, you know, if you take a bumblebee and you drop it into a glass, an empty glass, the bumblebee does not know how to fly out. It will stay in there until it dies. Isn't that interesting? Just a glass. Because what the bumblebee will do is it will constantly bump on the sides and try and get out. It constantly uses its own abilities and wisdom to get out instead of doing something simple. This is what the article said. Instead of looking up, 
And you know, we're exactly the same. We use all our abilities and our wisdom to try and make a life for ourselves instead of just doing what Jesus says. Look at me. Matthew's gospel says these words. It says, come to me all who are weary and burdened and I'll give you rest. In other words, look at me. And I'll tell you what, there's something in the room today. You've been bumping your head against things. God says, just come to me. Trust my wisdom and look up. You'll find what you need. We hope you have been blessed and inspired by this message.